Welcome to the Original Marketing Show, episode 19. 19. Yeah, it's great we're calling it a show and not a podcast. We haven't told anyone else that. Well, we said it one episode and then maybe we went back to podcast. Well, all the branding says podcast. Yeah. But it's a show. It's a show. On YouTube, it's a show. It's still a podcast on Spotify and iTunes. We get millions of downloads, so we don't want to confuse people, obviously, but I would say show. Yeah. We're blown up on TikTok. Yeah, we, we are TikTok famous. ate up a couple clips. Yeah, so anytime we talk about celebrities or drinking. Yeah, mostly beer. It's the beer clips that are. Yeah, because Taffer boy, JT, Mr. John Taffer, he went, he's going a little viral on TikTok for us, right? Okay. We don't know how to turn TikTok into downloads or listeners. So if you currently came from TikTok, let us know, leave a comment. We would love to know that it's working. We did get over <laughs> 300,000 views. Yeah. The comments were crazy. It was so funny, like, because it was my statement saying you can't drink alcohol on a TV commercial. Correct. But the way it was clipped and the way I said it, people took it as I said, you can't do it on TV. So everyone's blown up like, what an idiot. Like, you can what? totally drink on TV. And then I said, because it's illegal. But everyone's like, well, it's not technically illegal. According but all to my calculations all in 1997, like, I signed a lot a of 1997 stuff. And then it was all about like, you know, not in every country. So it's like, I apologize. I was speaking towards my So were US. you right or wrong though? Because so <laughs> I don't like fact check you. I don't know. Yeah. Anything. I don't think it's like the government says you'll go to jail if you do, but it sounds like every alcohol company has done some type of agreement to not do it. But for TV commercials, you won't really see people actually Time consuming. That's, that's a, you won't really see is a different well, state. Well, now I don't know. Because like, you said it was illegal. I know I said it was illegal, but that's what I thought. Because you never, <laughs> I know, I know you never you see it. So I thought, well, because you never see it, it's got to be against the law. But then people are saying it's more of a agreement between the companies. And then Correct. a lot of people said like, oh, who doesn't know this? Because I guess there was a Neil Patrick Harris Heineken commercial where he says you can't consume it. So I, it's some type of like... I'm sure it's a funny bit around how you can't consume it. So they're doing other things to advertise Heineken. So a lot of people were mentioning that commercial and like, oh yeah, everyone so knows that. Despite all the comments and you diving into it, you didn't do any real research though yet on if it was legal or illegal. Because I didn't. I know I didn't take the time. I read the comments and I believe the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are smart. They probably looked at it. They were all so Googling it. I want to look right in the camera so you guys hear this directly from us. We are here to entertain you. <laughs> we may or may not educate you. And most of our takes could be wrong. I'm going to start making stuff up because people loved it. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you idiot. It's not illegal. Like, that's why it blew up, I hot think. Takes. The that's hot takes. That's why it blew up. It was yeah. so many comments of people feeling like they just had to, you know, this is a podcast. They said something wrong. I got to go into the comments and, like, prove them wrong. Once yeah, most gets... of what we say could be wrong. But what we've learned from it is we need to be more convicted, regardless of the truth. And when you use the word illegal, that was the trigger word, Brady. Yeah. When people heard illegal, they were like, actually, according to my calculations, in 1997, the law was changed. And now there's just more of a handshake deal amongst the beer companies to not overly promote things that could backfire legally in a class action lawsuit like we were encouraging over drinking. I like your TikTok user voice. That was my TikTok <laughs> user voice. That's how I feel like they all sound. Yeah. No, I, th I thought it was cool, though. I liked it. I know. It, it was so funny to see, like, that's why it blew up. 300,000 views. You and I have never had 300,000 views on anything. No. So, hey, now, 
that keeps us going. So thank you everybody who engages with our content. If you're not following us, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever that is. But Brady, did you have any data insights that you want to share with us? Yeah, my little finding of the week. Yeah. So in case you guys didn't know, Brady needs a way to turn content, <laughs> to produce content, but he doesn't have a producer. So I think he just wanted to make I'm his I'm just hijacking the podcast and <laughs> doing, doing a micro segment to then share on my LinkedIn. Yeah, for, he gets like full videos, puts it on YouTube. I'm like not even there. more of my job purposes. <laughs> yeah, I like it. But I think it's still entertaining for the podcast. Yeah. You know, this is a marketing podcast, podcast show. Yeah. And I'm going to try to keep it like the last one got a little detailed, but I still think relevant to a lot of people. This one is LinkedIn, though. And the finding was so I do a lot of audits, right? So our prospects give me access to their LinkedIn, their Microsoft ads, Google ads, their ad accounts. I do audits for them. And this one, I was going into LinkedIn and performance was bad on a campaign level. So their cost per lead was phoning a friend. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty bad. And so I went into the targeting because I like to understand, like, what's the setup? What's the strategy? And they were what the company does is like internal communication for healthcare. Okay. So like my wife at her hospital, they use like Facebook groups like they're talking about their schedule. Sounds secure. Yeah. On Facebook groups. And so this company is you know put in place to solve that. Like they have a platform for HIPAA compliant communication. Have we worked with this company before? No, okay. it's not who you're thinking. Okay. Um, I'm not allowed to say anything. That's what's so yeah, funny I know. About. It's all the NDAs, but I know what you're thinking. <laughs> it's not that. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I go into their targeting and they're going after healthcare as an industry. Makes sense. And they're going after seniorities, senior and up. Let me just take a guess of what you did here. Did you maybe pull up a demographics report? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. That's okay, what I'm okay, getting okay, at. okay, okay. And so, but I first like to understand like what, because when you see how they set up the targeting, that tells me their intentions and their intentions were clear. They want to go after like higher up employees within the healthcare organization, like hospitals. It all made sense. I get it. That seemed like a sound strategy. But then what I do is, and this is for post-production uh, to help with the overlay. <laughs> there it is. This is why I need to on the when you go, this podcast segment. When you go to the campaigns, <laughs> you select the campaign you're looking at. And then in the top right, there's a button. I think it's to the right of performance called demographics. You click on that. And then there's a drop down on what you can look at. And for this example, I looked at job titles. Ooh. And what it does is it shows you, instead of just like the table that shows your cost per lead and impressions, it shows you your lead performance per job title that you're targeting. Over half of their costs and impressions were registered nurses and nurses. Those were the job titles. And it's because they fell under a senior employee within a healthcare company. And so their intention was like, oh, we don't want nurses. Hey, don't talk bad on the nurses. I'm not talking They're very my, senior. My wife is a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, their intention was probably thinking like, okay, nurses at the hospital won't be classified in this seniority level. We want to go after Correct. the decision makers for software. But the reality was half of it was nurses and no one there knew it because so they weren't looking at the demographics. You're telling me that an ad platform like a LinkedIn yeah. or a Google or a meta like Facebook, Instagram or TikTok or even Twitter, God forbid we use that word right now, <laughs> you're telling me that they might have overly broad targeting that bucket weird titles into things to increase the amount of spend they have on their platform because that's how they make their money. Well, they might have even employees that are consultants 
Ooh. for the platform tell you to target that way because the best performance comes from a larger audience. And I would imagine that those set employees who work at these ad platforms, they get their promotions based off of customer results. Uh, no, it's more settings checked off to Ooh, expand the so target. Maybe it's like customer spend is more yeah, important that, than that customer results it. to the ad platforms. Which you would think those go hand in hand, but you know, from my career, I've realized that's that's not the case. No, there's only so much money you can effectively spend indirect response platforms like these. Brand yeah. awareness, you can spend a lot. Yeah. But indirect response, there's only so many people that have intent. There's only so many of the right ideal customer personas. Yeah, there's only so many people looking to make a platform decision on how the nurses and the doctors communicate digitally. There's not that many people in the org influencing so that decision. So you had this kind of job function t- targeting with some type of uh, seniority filters, right? So yeah. what did you? What was your recommendation for someone who might now, right? They were listening to the show, they're watching the show, they go to their own LinkedIn, they go to their own ad accounts, they check their mm-hmm. demographic reports, they're like, oh my God, we have a bunch of junk in our titles too. What, what was your recommendation for them? So for this one, I mean, half of them being nurses was a very large chunk and a lot of spend was going there. But then everything below it seemed pretty good, right? It was IT roles okay. within the hospitals, operational roles, uh, director roles. And so they had a lot of good stuff in there. It was just they allowed the nurses to slip through the cracks and spend half their money on them. And so, so a quick do, exclusion. So we do an exclusion instead of a targeting overall. So instead of only targeting the right titles, we actually, and this is a weird thing about platforms for how facetious we were and joking we were being about the platforms. They, all the platforms actually do run better the broader you are. The problem is, is that the results or the quality you get isn't necessarily equitable in other words the fact that the platform runs so much better when you're broad doesn't mean you get so much better results when you're broad so if i hear what you're saying is you kind of liked the function level kind of broader targeting because it did a good job encapsulating the value props weren't wildly different for an it person than they were for hospital manager or something so the roles didn't need different level of segmentation and messaging to maybe drive better performance we just need to exclude the wrong people is that fair? Yeah. And there's like a handful of unique roles making these decisions in that industry versus like a very clear, like we only go after CMOs. And right? it's not or... universally consistent. In other words, some hospitals, the IT person might have the power. Other hospitals, the admin person yeah, could might be have the COO power. at yeah, the hospital. Understood. So yeah, an exclusion would be the first step and then doing more research into like, should we upload? Because even the talking point was around finding the nurses, but you can also in that same report, look at companies and see, okay, we want to go after hospitals. And so the best thing for us to do is to go after the like healthcare industry tag. But if you look at companies, you can see, are these actually all hospitals or is there a two person home care? Well, that goes to our customer generation methodology, right? Where instead of relying on LinkedIn targeting all the right companies on our behalf. Instead, what we do is we actually go out and just build our own database of all the hospitals we want, have sales sign off on it, and then we upload those to the marketing platform and we only advertise to the companies that sales and marketing as a group have agreed upon as our audience. And that you know really yeah. decreases all the waste. And then you can be broader in your targeting because we just need that account and we might want to build a buying center of influence of maybe the IT person, the COO, the CEO, and this other person have all heard of us, gotten our ads, and we have a higher close rate, 
right? Yeah, it's gaining that like confidence in every impression. Yeah. And you got to dive deep to get there. The setup was totally what a LinkedIn rep would tell you to do, yep. which is why I'm passionate about it. I'm kind of sick of seeing it. You've hated the reps for now 10 years and you've been doing it for uh, 10 years. Right? I mean, I've built healthy relationships oh. now, but they definitely have often a different agenda than what we do for our clients. And I'm passionate about fixing that. Even Google, their stock's going down. What do we see? An email saying, we'll give you $100 Google credit if you turn on auto recommendations, which essentially just gives Google full automatic control, like changing your settings. But their stock is- For 100 bucks, we'll take 1,000. Yeah, their stock is tanking right now. Most of that value is from ad revenue. Here goes Hot Take Brady. We'll give you $100 to let us control those settings. It's dangerous. So that's why I'm here to help you guys out. One little audit at a time. As a marketer, what have you named your little segment here? Uh, <laughs> we we're still working on that. Finding yeah. of the week. You know, thank God we found it. I don't. Thank God we found it. I don't know. Phone of Brady. Yeah. I think weekly cool. finding something yeah. like that. I like that. Well, anything notable from the weekend? I mean, it, it's been busy. I feel like I haven't been working my normal work. Just because I had, I went to Hawaii. I'm saying this to the CEO right now. That's no, super, no, he really knows. smart, really smart. No, I, I had my vacation and I was back for a week. And my partner in crime and sales was at a conference <laughs> that week, right? Uh, so it was kind of a weird week. And then you also, go to conferences all the time, right? Well, so then the following week or that Friday, I flew out to London for a conference. I haven't found you going to a lot of conferences. Is it unique that you chose to go to the one that was in London? I did not choose. <laughs> <laughs> they reached out to me and I was like, I'm not missing Thanksgiving with my family. Yeah, of course not. But if you need me there, I'll be there because I'll do anything for yeah, the yeah. business. You're an innocent man in a, a brutal world. So they're like, Brady, we need you. I was yeah. like, okay. And so how so, was the, how would you learn on the conference? Was it fun going to the UK? It was cool. I haven't been there since I was 18. And so, and our COO was there too from New York and she's never been to London. And so we did like on Sunday we did a we walked like 22 miles in those no i did not bring these Ooh. it was raining okay yeah, yeah um i brought like high top vans heck yeah my, like the ultra comfort ones anyways we we saw all of london we walked a ton and then monday more of like a working session then the conference kicked off tuesday and wednesday and i flew home wednesday night but it was good the conference itself just not the right people but yeah. that was a learning experience i got to me, a CMO who's been in our pipeline. We've had a very lengthy sales process so far. Uh, she lives in Dublin, Ireland. So I saw her in person yeah. and got to talk to her. And I thought that was that was pretty special. Um, yeah. Never felt like I was across the world for five days. It was just kind of bizarre. Yeah, it is, right? But it, it was cool. That was great. It's exciting to see, you know, we're, we're expanding pretty aggressively right now into Europe. We've got reps hired in France, Germany, UK. So it's exciting to kind of see those relationships start to yeah. blossom. I mean, those are people I've never even met before, right? So it's crazy to see how much bigger our visions become and how dynamic it is to, you know, accomplish it. Yeah. Everyone wanted to follow up on like Thursday, Friday. I'm like, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, they don't, they're and all A lot working. of people knew like what Black Friday was. Like Black Friday deals were big. They didn't know it was connected to Thanksgiving, which at least I think it is. Like Black Friday came from the day after Thanksgiving is how that 
shopping holiday started but yeah it's like a random day yeah yeah yeah, and there it's like massive but a lot of people didn't know that it may have started from we should do a little deep dive on that maybe next week like the history of black friday well now i'm like like scared i'm not scared but it's like if i say black friday maybe i just have to say that black friday is because of thanksgiving clip that put it on tiktok (laughs) i was like black friday existed you know yes according to our started in scandinavia actually for research we believe Black Friday because it came because people ate too much turkey and needed to spend their money. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect yeah. sense. Exactly. Quote it. What'd you do? What'd I do? Oh, yeah. 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 We'll, we'll talk about you before we get into the advertising jealousy. What did I do? Did you have Thanksgiving? I did have Thanksgiving. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah it was very good. I made my own honey glazed baked ham. I love But ham. I smoked it. So it came out fire. Just like did my own first time I ever done. So I got a ham, mm-hmm. sliced it all up, like pre-sliced it, kept the bone in. So this is raw at this point. Yeah. Like it's not cooked at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then smoked it in my smoker and then built, did like my own glaze, mm-hmm. glazed it, finished it again in the smoker, deep fried the turkey. Nice. You 16 pound turkey. I don't understand those people in these videos. Okay, man. <laughs> like doing a turkey is not hard. I don't know. I think it's because they don't defrost it, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah, but I mean, they ain't no fix for stupid, Brady. Okay. Yeah, there's YouTube. (laughs) So essentially, if you do a turkey without knock, I mean, I'm going to blow up. I know. (laughs) I shouldn't have said Now it's going to come back and get me. But in theory, turkeys actually really aren't that hard. You just get the oil the right temperature Mm -hmm. and you just drop it in real slow. And you can buy something on Amazon, like a turkey deep fry kit. It's like couple hundred bucks. But it has to be defrosted, right? Like Correct. that's the big yeah, yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. And then essentially uh, my wife like injects it the couple days before, preps it all, does all the hard work. And then I get to look like the Shut hero. Shut the Coors Light yeah, up yeah. there. Is that the No, no. The we don't even know Coors Light. No, no, no. It's just like covered in like, uh, I can't give away all the secrets, but it's covered right. in a marinade, sits for a couple days, it's injected everywhere and it comes out. And I mean, you would think turkey tasted good by the time this thing's done. Dang. Like, and that's saying something. Yeah. So the turkeys was great. The food was great. Heated the pool, you know, the whole like kind of nice, good vibe. And then I went fishing on Friday, caught some fish, did some fish tacos, and then mostly just hung out with the family, you know. Nice. Yeah, you got World Cup going. We do. I know you're a big football fan. Zero zero draw. Brilliant. You know, got to love a big high scoring event here in America. But yeah, uh, that was England versus US, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was England versus US. But I mean, I would rather watch that a trillion times than Thursday night football lately. Yeah. Like Thursday night football is just yeah. bad. That, that was my running joke at the conference is getting out of here before the US England game. People Good. loved it. That's great. I joke. don't watch much soccer. But that was a hit. Oh yeah. They were loving it. Like that. You should ask them how their prime minister is. I didn't get yeah, into see, those like politics. you could do yeah, see they, could, all prob- sorts they of... could talk about our politics yeah. and that would yeah. You didn't only that. Yeah. Whatever. Didn't want to start that one. Yeah, but no, weekend was good and was also kind of, it's always like nice to get that, well, Wednesday was our last day of work. I mean, I know you do a lot of vacations, but for some of us, <laughs> that was really nice. We, I had have, a, we have a policy. We have to take time off. Yeah, No, you have to take at least two weeks off, which is good. I've tried to this year, but with three kids under three, I'm one for five on family vacations right now. I'm low batting average. And uh, it was nice to just have a couple days off to relax. So yeah. yeah, that volcano I was talking about just erupted, I think, last night today. So I'm surprised you guys aren't out there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it it doesn't look been. too bad. It didn't say, like, any evacuations, but 
it looks pretty cool. It's like lava just flowing down the Jeez. Mauna Loa, I think is what it's called. Oh, I know if I land. Yeah, for, if you go out there right now, that thing's really going to... It's going to erupt. Yeah, yeah, it'd be bad. Well, they don't want me. I should not be allowed to enter the country <laughs> or the state. They should know. I know. All right, so should we talk advertising jealousy? Yeah, let's do it. So, you want... Should I go first today? Yeah. All right. So, we're going to show a commercial from 1983 called 1984. Okay. That, that context actually is really important because... I, and this is why I love this show, I still hate the ad. No matter how much data I've done to prep for this segment, I think it's the worst ad ever. The ad we're about to watch? Yeah, I hate it. Which is totally my style. In the advertising jealousy segment? Well, because just because I like an ad or dislike an ad doesn't mean it's not effective. Yeah, yeah, so that's why... This, they did over $150 million in sales after this, completely changed the way Super Bowl commercials were done, completely changed the viewpoint of how to do a commercial, mm-hmm. and were revolutionary for their time. Conversely, so little backdrop on this story. So as we – because there's a story to this. It's actually really consequential to our careers and kind of our own journeys. The board hated – this idea and concept mm-hmm. and commercial. Jobs initially had bought a 90-second spot on the Super Bowl. They immediately told him that he, he needs to sell all the ad space. The board doesn't want him to do this. They don't approve. The ad doesn't even show the product. Okay. They also thought that they were slapping IBM in the face, who was their primary competitor at the time. And they figured, why yep. why wake up the 1,000-pound gorilla in the room kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And Jobs, as well as Scully, who was CEO actually at the time, were so convinced that this was the best thing for the future in the business that they essentially said they'd pay their own money for it and all this stuff. Mm. And the board was like, no, you still got to sell it. So then all they could sell was 30 seconds. So they still kept the 60-second slot. So they kind of gave the board the middle finger. Yeah. And was like, oh, we couldn't sell the ad space. Guess we're stuck with this horrible ad. And it revolutionized Super Bowl commercials. That's why you're going to get the storytelling ads of the Budweiser horses and the dog sniffing, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the nose of the horse and all the storytelling and the big campaigns and the kind of more feels like a small film or a movie. That all was pioneered here. And they got one of the biggest directors in the world at the time to film the commercial. He had done Blade Runner, Alien. What, what's his name? We click on the other tab for me, Scarlett. No, the, the other tab that you pulled up, the second one. Ridley Scott. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they hired Ridley Scott. So the reason I love the theory of it all is I always think like movie producers are way better at commercials than we are. Like Ryan Reynolds is better at advertising than I am. Just as a fact. And watching people who have that ability to be on camera to tell stories, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's what they do for a living. They're actors. They make us feel something, right? They they're they get a story. They get yeah. how to portray an idea. The ad changed everything. Now, I don't think it's that good. 
but it proved to be amazing. So it was shot in 1983, and this was their ad to launch the Apple Macintosh computer. Let's okay. watch it. Today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the information purification directives. We have created for the first time in all history a garden of pure ideology where each worker may bloom secure from the pests of a contradictory thoughts. Our communication as a force is more powerful than On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. So I had to look into this one. That was the ad. So, and Scarlett, maybe if you can just Google 1984, I think it's a book or a movie that I know nothing about that it referenced. Yeah, by George Orwell. Yeah, dystopian social science fiction novel. So I know nothing about that book. When was it written? Go on Wikipedia because I wonder if this was like a... You're right. Okay, so this is where George Orwell came in. I thought it was like taken from his thematic writings, not like it was an actual 1949. I mean, that couldn't be that court. Come on, on a Super Bowl, your Aunt Susan's like, oh, I remember 1984, the classic George Orwell science fiction dystopian novel. I mean, I can text my Aunt Susan right now. I have See, two of them. Really? <laughs> yeah. You would have two Aunt Susans. <laughs> well, one I call Susan, the other one I call Sue. Aunt Sue, not Susie? Yeah, just Sue. Are both aunts or one auntie? No, they're both aunts. aunts One's okay. my dad's brother's wife, and the other one is my mom's sister. There ain't no... I bet they both know about this book. But I've never... I'd never heard this book, and so when I first saw the ad, I was like, man, is this a play on, like, communism? Like, is this a play on, like, Stalin? Is this Nazi Germany? Like, it had some weird vibes Correct. to it. Correct. It's a dystopian, like... You know, we we won't become this, like, kind of non, like, group thing. Yeah, it's like the Matrix, kind of. Yeah. Like, everyone just marching and, like, one order. and But I I had to look it up, and it's based on this book. Dang, we're smart. We're so smart. I spent so much prep, didn't even know that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, do not watch this show for any other reason than just pure genius. So, when... <laughs> and I think that... The whole, like, ruling the world was based on what IBM was doing because IBM was shutting down Apple from, like, acquisitions because they are like, oh, your stuff's not going to work. We built the IBM PC. Like, we're just going to dominate this space. And they're saying, be a part of the revolution kind of thing. Be a part of the counterculture. Yeah, so that lady with the hammer was Macintosh. That whole room, I think, was IBM and their vision of... Which you don't know until they write the word Apple computer and you're watching that drunk... At the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with your Aunt Susan, who you say has read a book from World War Two. I mean, like George Orwell. Okay, so George Orwell. What other books did George Orwell do? I believe Animal Farm. Am I crazy? I think I'm stupid. Like, I know I'm not. Well, maybe 1984 was in the school system. Oh, my gosh. Homeschooled. Look at that, guys. <laughs> I remember this. So, 
I knew about Animal Farm and I read George Orwell. <laughs> but I had not read 1945. 1984. 1984. Written which in 1945. <laughs> and so my point being here, he was born in Bengal in India. Wow, oh, crazy, crazy world back in the day. But my point being is I would argue, Brady, it's a pretty good big stretch to assume Americana football stereotypical blue collar American yeah. has read 1945 by George Orwell and has a complete understanding of what this is referencing. Yeah. But that's what it was about. That whole line at the end, like 1984 won't be 1984. It's saying it won't be like how that novel I know. depicted. That's what's so crazy to me is to assume that that novel, which was is so- then calling out IBM because IBM thinks 1984 will be them just ruling the personal computer space. Correct, but it won't be because no, Macintosh is here. Mac just it. came in and swung the hammer and threw it at the screen. So you love the ad. I mean, I just maybe if that novel 1984 was in the school system in the U.S. during that time period or Correct. before that time period, and well, both, you remember all the books you read in school. I mean, I somehow do you just think you aced would... every book report without reading them. Yeah, but do you think that's a separate conversation? <laughs> you sound like some people I know in my life. Now, would your subconscious? I'm efficient. I know. Yeah, that's not. Let's hate. Don't hate the player. Hate the game, right? Mm-hmm. So, would you say your subconscious is so well educated in books from 1945 that no, when was Holes written? I don't know. It's a great book. No, that that was a joke. It's not written any time. You can still look it up. Scott. Yeah, look at it. Yeah, you look it up. But I, I, 2006, 1998, 1998, not even close. All right. So now what I want to show you is the second video, which to me is like the romanticism of this, and it, and I want to bring this to the show because people, I think, hopefully, if you've been watching me and how I like to think about advertising and marketing is, I like the soul. Mm-hmm. I, I like the art. I like the I like the part where you believe in something so much that you publish it like an artist would, and then you hope that it impacts other people's lives or their actions. In this case, to buy a product, or an arts case, maybe to think about something differently. Mm-hmm. But both of them, you're trying to change human behavior and make someone think about something that they might not have without it. Get a human from apathy to action is what we're trying to do in marketing and advertising. What I think is so cool is to hear how a cinematographer, a film director of critical acclaim, they themselves thinks about advertising. So let's hit play here. And it's six minutes, so we'll talk a little bit over it. But I think it's really important. The entire time I've been doing commercials. I've always thought of them because I didn't come from advertising. I came from BBC. So I've I've always come into commercial advertising and looked at each commercial as a film, right? As a little filmlet. Always have done, and I always will do, I guess, okay? to change now but um i looked at it from a point of view the first idea was uh dealing with the look of the thing and my instead of doing uh, a contemporary absolutely contemporary idea of future i thought it was more interesting to look back at uh, i think it was done in the 40s alexander quarter's shape of things to come right and i thought that to me if you take those interiors uh, which are slightly decadent looking, even though it, with all their gloss and all their, their kind of, w- what was then marvelous architecture and now looks archaic as architecture. I thought that was an interesting look. Oh, well, what was your reaction when you first saw the board? Well, the the board, um, I thought, 
one of two things. They're referring to the storyboard. Oh, my yeah. God, they're mad because this is a ter this is terrific from a, a filmic point of view, and and I know exactly how to do a kind of. They got this from the agency, right? So the agency does a storyboard. Maybe Chiade. In dramatic terms rather than factual terms, right? And so I thought it was such a dramatic idea that it would either be totally successful or would all get put in state pen. Were the bits of things that you'd done in Alien that, that found their way into Alien yeah. 4? Yeah. Um, because in Alien, the whole process of Alien on the Nostromo, the spaceship. Like, this was such a big commercial itself, that there's all of these sub videos about it. Yeah. As to how do you make those corridors look it's just the process. Like real. And so what we did very simply, finally, is in frustration, we bought three aircraft and dismantled them. Mm. And, the, and those three big jet bombers actually were then assembled in the corridors in the sculptural process. And that's why it looked very businesslike. Oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> those two big blank walls at the back of the main auditorium in 1984, we hauled in those huge 747 engines and mm -hmm. just hung them on the wall. Yeah, and they looked crazy. like... What do they look like? I don't know. They look like air This isn't all post-production. Yeah, right. This is like Some really kind of building the set. Yeah. 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 Something they spent nine hundred thousand so dollars on this in nineteen eighty-four. Called good dramatic bullshit. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on the girl that, uh, as you looked at the board, what sort of person that would be? Let's start no. there. And work back to the. Uh, yeah. No. One of the one. Uh, you know, as you remember, one of the main problems was actually, funny, of finding a girl who could throw a hammer mm -hmm. and look businesslike. Mm -hmm. And so that immediately narrowed down the field, apart from the fact you had to look great. Mm -hmm. It narrowed down the field, I think, almost immediately to athletes. Because we went through the whole process of having, you know, models come in and actresses come in. Um, those Hyde Park days of... The Hyde Park yeah. days of casting, oh, which was so actually very pleasant. Um, but we finally narrowed it down to actually seeing athletes. Disc yeah, it's crazy Disc that they had her actually field. throwing and that yeah. hammer right in front of these guys really was i think out of everybody we saw was like nowadays that would be a green screen because if that thing slips right out of your hands handle it handle it so it hits one of those people one of their oh yeah look at this they brought in real skinheads for this trademark seems to be it's like a combination of almost like a, a punk look for some reason or other they all seem to walk around with shaved heads mm. and so we organized one of these rather frightening casting sessions where, where there were about three or four hundred uh youths skinheads yeah. And uh, I was surprised how, you know, how elderly some of them were with these. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was tended to be a kind of youth movement, but it's not at all. I think we had three generations. That Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, That's we wild. chose 150 skinheads out of that group. Yeah. 150 big skinheads big brother, just to do his commercial. Um, at first, well, when we got, we got into the process of where, where would the speech come from? Because right. the You've speech wasn't match. really written up. He needs the Martha yeah. Snoop lighter. Yeah, well, I think it worked out very well. But it's great speech. Where did it come from? Steve, Steve Hayden really? manufactured that. Yeah. It's terrific. And um, because what we discussed at that point... Seeing Steve Hayden was creative director at uh, the agency. And uh, mm. Karl Marx, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I guess is what 1984 is vaguely talking focusing about. On, sure. focusing yeah. On, yeah. And um, so that was the first idea. So the brief to the casting director was just that. And so the notion at that stage was to get somebody with pale... I think Marx had pale red hair, didn't he? Yes. Faded red hair and a little goatee beard. Mm -hmm. uh, thought of going to that extent, but then when I actually saw the guy who came in, um, he was enough. He's interesting enough. He was, he was given manic enough performance. If you'd have had a double the budget on this one, what mm -hmm. would you have done differently? 
triple the budget. Jeez, what a question. Uh, within the same, same 60 second slot, yeah. Not very much, I think we nailed it. I thought so too. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough question. But, are you guys gonna pause? That's good. So, what I thought was so cool about that is we've lost so much of that mm -hmm. as marketers and advertisers. Right? We we feel so constrained, whether it's, well, I don't have the budget. More what I hear. I don't have the time. I don't have the team. I don't have whatever. There's always I don't have. But to think Apple was any different than the startups we helped today in 1984 is incorrect. Yeah. We have an Apple right now in our portfolio, Brady. We are that large of an organization. We do have that many exciting startups that are going public and IPOing mm -hmm. and will change the world. But I don't think there's that many heads of marketing that we get to work with. And the truth is it didn't come from head of marketing. It came from Steve Jobs. Yeah. came from Scully, CEO. I don't know if we have founders that know how to tell their story nearly as well as Apple do. I know I don't know how to tell my story at Directive nearly as well as Apple does. But being able to tell a story, being able to connect with a cultural landscape and being so confident in your product that if they only knew about it, they'd have to buy it, which mm -hmm. is what this is saying. We are going to launch our product, the new Macintosh computer, and we're going to do it in such a compelling way that's values driven by we believe that the world doesn't have to exist in a dystopian future, but can actually be the change that they want. And the power to that change is the technology of the Macintosh that we're going to put in every household in America. Mm -hmm. And they pulled that vision off. But the grandiose nature of that vision is what gives us, I think, the ability as advertisers and marketers to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And as a call to all the founders and owners and entrepreneurs out there is how do you get grandiose with your vision? How do you tell your story? You don't have to do a Super Bowl spot. You can do influencers. You can do ad campaigns. But you got to get away. And this is what Directive's got to do too. Directive's got to go away from slinging $3 million in gift cards every year to spending $3 million to tell a story of Directive and its values to the masses. And I think that goes to every brand. We got so married to direct response and attribution that we forgot about values and storytelling and the power that can have on a lower customer acquisition cost, right? Every one of our clients, ourselves included, every marketer in the world right now, their number one channel is direct traffic. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. The number one driver of revenue for your business, you can't say what, exactly where it came from. Guaranteed. Highest performing channel is direct every time. Yeah. Yet, 0% of our budget and us or yeah, it goes to like influencing, trying to influence influencing direct. direct. Yeah. And that has to change. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to change about our marketing in 2023 at directive is we're going to start spending a lot of money on things that are going to be attributed to direct mm -hmm. things that make directive relevant in Americana in the global cultural landscape yeah. you have to make your brand culturally relevant mm -hmm. and once you become culturally relevant you become less codependent on this pay to play that us and all of our clients are still stuck in yeah i'm gonna pay you this and i'm gonna get back this mm -hmm. to uh i'm going to invest in my product i'm gonna invest into my viewpoint i'm gonna be different i love how george 
uh, Ridley Scott talks about, I didn't want to do something like this. I wanted to do something different. And why different is so much better than better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so powerful is how do you tell your story and convince people that you're different and that when you draw and if you choose them, you can be a part of a tribe. You can be Mm -hmm. a part of this movement. You can be a part of this cultural connection that we all have. We all are that young woman running down the aisle, throwing and giving a middle finger to the establishment, which is what they're trying to show in that ad. And that's the part I love about that. Now, I hate it because I don't. I don't know how it worked. And I know why the board hated it. It's because we never read 1984. And we weren't, we aren't consuming the commercial in 1983. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting time. Like when you talk about attribution, like back then it was really just sales of personal computers, them versus IBM. 150 million. Yeah. Skyrocketed. When Steve like introduced this commercial in the keynote, he read the whole history of IBM turning down Xerox. And then, like, what happened with Xerox? IBM turning down Mac. IBM turning down, like, Mac again, saying, like, this is way too small. It can't do the computing. And he, like, led up to them versus IBM and IBM missing out on opportunity. And then he ran this commercial and everyone went crazy. I love it. I love it. Well, what do you have for us today, Brady? So I have a different format, something we haven't done before. It's very long, so we're not going to watch the whole thing. But I actually discovered this when doing research for a prospect that does like explainer video, but more drag and drop, do it yourself. Um, And he was interested in influencers and he was asking me about it. And so I was doing some research and I found this sponsored YouTube video Mm. um, by this influencer who's in like the video creation space. But it's essentially him building, he does commercials for fun and people love like watching his process Click on daniel schiffer for me schiffer i went with schiffer i think i'm okay let's click on it real quick i just want to see how i film epic pizza b-roll okay so it's kind of explainer type style he's at 2.24 million subscribers okay so he's testing out a lot of camera stuff so he's like a technology influencer yeah he unpacks his lighting to do like product TV commercials. So he does the commercials, gets paid there, and then he makes another money from his own audience teaching them how to do it themselves. Yeah, I mean, he's making good money just on the channel doing even fake commercials, but walking through his process. Okay, so, so are they doing, real commercials or? I don't, I'm sure he's done work professionally, but I think a lot of his videos are just him choosing products and having fun with it. So it's an influencer who, in this case, to me, isn't even connected to Canva. To to me, Canva is kind of like a like a clip art Adobe version, right? Like it's like a no code version of Adobe. It's yeah. Like no code for designers, right? Yeah. So his goal is to replicate what he normally does using Canva, but this for a is, product commercial. Yeah. Awesome. And, and if you scroll down, like we can do it now. Yeah. Um, you can see there that click here to get Canva Pro free for forty five days. So this is all yeah yeah a Pay partnership with Canva. From Canva. But I think this is an ad. It is an ad. Yeah. Correct. It's an influencer marketing campaign as an ad. Yeah. But I, don't, I don't know if a lot of people see these types of videos as advertisement. Um, Which is the best kind of ad, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's watch it. Yeah. We can watch like the first minute intro and then we can skip to like the halfway mark to see some of the process. And then at the end, you can see in the view spike, it's at like 10, 15 when... Okay. The final product. Welcome back to the channel. I'm Daniel Schiffer, and today I'll be attempting Schiffer. something that 
I've never done before. Now, I've made a lot of videos for companies over the past 10 years, and something that every video I make has in common is that the equipment I use to create them costs a lot of money. I tried to break that trend a couple weeks ago when I demonstrated how I turned an ordinary photo I took on my phone into a captivating video asset without using expensive equipment. Now, while that video was cool and didn't cost a lot of money to make, it certainly costs a lot of time, not just to make the asset itself, but also the several years of learning the techniques that go into creating that style He's a great of marketer. Today, that is, is all a perfect out the window. I want to create a professional quality is. product commercial for under $20, and the catch is that it has to be easy. No keyframes, no masks, no practical effects. I want this to be so easy that literally anybody at any level of experience can do it, so let's get started. So to keep this commercial consistent with the other types of ads I would typically create here on this channel, we're going to stick with a food and beverage theme, and we're going to try and create an ad for this soda brand called Olipop. Now, seeing his final cut. So yeah, we can skip. So that okay. that's how he stages it Understood. all. Understood. Okay. Good job, Brady. It's a good intro. I mean, it was his intro, not mine. Yeah, you clipped <laughs> it, you know, one minute there. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was good, yeah, yeah. All right, so 505 is our time. Yeah, we, well, we can just watch a little bit of this. Okay. It just shows like he's, he's been building Canva. it the whole time. These are animations that are part of Canva Pro, and they are actually really cool as well. If you're interested so he's in pretty much doing like a demo, the way Canva he explains Pro, every piece of Canva. Or go to Canva.me slash Canva. I'm going to go back go. into page animations here and just hover my mouse over different options to see Is how the elements on the screen respond. I think this so he has animation a, he has his really own link. jumps out like at He has his own URL. So yeah, I'm going to select that as our page animation, and I think to create some variety, I'm going to select our neon tubes, and I'm going to highlight all of them by holding shift okay. and clicking we get, and drag. I think we can get the gist on like this. That's I mean, what the core. Easy. Okay, I'm that's already. what the core video is, right. and then go to like 10:15. I think is when he'll show the final product of what he made. Uh, there we go, right there. Yeah, anywhere close. Okay. Oh boy, Scarlet, our favorite. We got an ad coming. She forgot. Did you know you didn't sign back in, right? <laughs> Result. I kind of was into that AI speech. I know. All right, here we go. Oh. putting us out of business let's just make something clear this video cost me less than twenty dollars to make and it was incredibly easy that to me is shocking i feel like this method of is making it? content is an yeah. i want to see it again it was so quick can we see it again yeah and he took like even those images he dragged them off the site and he showed in canva how there's a music library for like usage and all right let's see this again i just want to watch the video all we have to do is go up here to download save it as an mp4 video and here is the final result so it's like a 15 second social youtube yeah that's pretty maybe darn Hulu good though ad spot Dang, don't need so many designers, huh? No. <laughs> so I think that that's really cool. But I think to your point, what I find interesting about this is, is Daniel doing this with Canva? Or did he find out that Canva has really good affiliate deals and he did this video on his own to monetize their affiliate yeah. program? I mean, he. I don't know if like you don't have to ever meet with Canva to do this, but he does have a Canva link at the bottom correct to his daniels though so what i'm trying to say is like did canva pay daniel to do this and personally because there's two different perspectives here that people don't understand 
Like, there's... Okay, this is going to take us down this weird random, like, rabbit hole, but I like this kind of stuff. So, here, I'm going to take us there, okay? So, Andrew Tate. He became very popular online because of an affiliate program he had for some type of, like, be a dummy course. You want to be like me, buy my course. But the way he became so famous on social media is he paid – he had an affiliate program that he blasted out to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then you would get paid essentially for people who signed up for Andrew Tate's online course. So all Through the so- your link. From right, your link. Yeah. So all the social media content you saw online when he took everything by storm and you couldn't cancel him and you couldn't get rid of him. Was because he wasn't creating the content. Everyone else was creating the content on his behalf. Yeah. So every channel, every random, like, if you're on the Explore feed of Instagram or TikTok and you get that random stuff where it's like, uh, you know, wish I knew this before type ads and it's always like some knick-knack product. Mm-hmm. All those people were pushing Andrew Tate because he, there's essentially marketplaces for affiliates and then you can find which companies have the best affiliate deals. He put together a really compelling deal. And he blew up on the internet. Yeah. And that's like an open, like anyone could do that versus so selecting he, your influencers. He didn't go reach out and do yeah. influencer outreach and select these 10 influencers are going to be my strategic go-to-market strategy. Mm-hmm. He just went to an affiliate marketplace, put together a really good thing, and then created viral content so that all they had to do was post it. And then the content would essentially go viral and then they could just clip it, mm-hmm. kind of like our clip did 300,000 views on TikTok. Yeah. And essentially did that while talking about sex and misogynistic type angles that he knows as we saw what type of clip did best on tiktok yeah the people disagreeing and arguing and going back and forth it's not legal it is legal exactly so he did that same thing with just taking like the pendulum has swung where like masculinity is considered a bad thing i'm gonna say it's the best thing ever and everyone's wrong and i'm gonna go back to like let's say uh middle eastern values and kind of integrated like Islam with the West and masculinity and misogyny and then bundled it all up in a confusing cocktail, just like religions did historically, and then blasted it out to the masses. Yeah. But he did that via an affiliate network. Mm -hmm. So my point to you when I watch this film is I'm curious if Canva reached out strategically to Daniel. See? Or... Yeah, he talks about his link there. I think they did. Just oh, personally. there it is. For sponsorship, probably use collaboration. Okay, there it is. So yeah. that's the part I was looking for. So Canva probably reached out to him, paid him to make the video, and he can put an affiliate link in. Yeah. They probably like, hey, we have a video idea. I think it's going to work really well with your channel. It's based on what you already do. We want you to try to build a commercial just using Canva. Well, for us, I think it would be really cool. Like, let's watch this. Go to search for it for me because it's something we could do here. Like, this just gets my brain going. Search Dan Martell. So we could theoretically... Dan. Sorry. That one. Yeah. We could theoretically pay someone like, so go to Dan Martell, ready to scale your SaaS business, right? And he's got 91,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. We could theoretically do a deal with Dan where he talked about the importance yeah. of performance marketing Finding for SaaS Finding the right companies. agency. Correct. How do you find the right agency? And Now that to me is a clever strategy for us. I'm going to call our director of marketing after this. But my point being is like that is a really healthy way to go to market. So I really love the ad you kind of showed us today. Yeah, it's just such a cool under the radar advertisement 
to where it's just all influencer, which I think is a fascinating space. Way more compelling to come from someone else than yourself. We've always known that with social proof. Yeah. And it's been big. Like, it's not the first time I've looked into this, uh, you know, for all of our developer based clients. Correct. Developers yeah. like learning from their peers. Yeah, a lot of open source Less type stuff. marketers yeah. telling them, like, you got to use this. Yep new tool to to code it's no co- they don't want to hear it from a salesperson or no, they, want, they, want, like they came up with it themselves yeah they want to go yeah. on reddit yeah. and they want to read what their community thinks yeah um or so Stack overflow or i thought it was powerful that video has how many views over six hundred thousand. yeah six hundred thousand views that i mean i guarantee it would have cost them more to get six hundred thousand dollars six hundred thousand views if they advertised on youtube and those 600k views wouldn't come from someone with 2.2 yeah, million subscribers. It wouldn't yeah. be authentic. And so I absolutely love this. It gets my juices going and gets me really excited about how I can kind of build a strategy for us for brand advertising in 2023. But this to me is so much more compelling. Yeah. It made me actually went into Canva, I think, after I found that more for like presentations and stuff. But to me, I was like, oh, I didn't even think canva could build videos like this like what else have they innovated on since the last time well i've seen a tech company like canva doing that though it inspires me and i think it can inspire our customers to do more as technology businesses to engage with like i was saying before culture like society like being a part of the actual conversation of day-to-day people is critically important yeah so would you say that ad made you a little jealous that ad made me jealous nailed it nailed it way to go brady Thank you. Got one. I think the last one, what was it? Poopery. I had a, I did a jingle for that and everything, bro. You did do a jingle for it. I appreciate that. I'm usually the one singing on here. I've gotten some like internal within the company. They're like, oh, can you sing that jingle again? I'm like, oh gosh, I need need to stop (laughs) setting myself up. Oh, I love it. Well, uh, let's talk market this. Let's do it. So on market this today, I've got now that sounds like the name of the segment. The segments market this today. I market this today with Brady and Garrett. <laughs> exactly. We're going to talk about an amusement park. Now, if you're from Southern California or if you've ever visited, you might be familiar with Knott's Berry Farm, which also during October does a Knott's Scary Farm. Yeah. Similar to like Universal Studios, I think does it as well. The Haunt. Yeah. They're they like a, a tier two amusement park, let's say. Yeah. Right. I would say Universal, not Six Flags. They're all tier two. And is there one tier one? I think there is one tier one. I think so too. Disney. Yep. They're the global powerhouse. Just got my passes. You did. Yeah. Okay, so what compelled you? Let's start there. So today, Market This is going to talk about what we would do to compete with Disney using Knott's Berry Farm as our muse. Mm-hmm. So with that being said... Tell me why you bought the Disneyland. Let's start some competitive research. Yeah. So. You I like lines? Disneyland pl- passes as like a kid growing up. Um, my wife and I on our second date, this was pretty aggressive by me, but we went on our first date. It went well. She told me she had a pass and wanted to go to Disneyland. I was like, I'll just buy a pass. Doesn't seem aggressive. Seems so logical. Yeah. Bought a pass. Second date was Disney. Okay. Like a couple days later. Did you go back since? Yeah. Okay. We, we use those passes. We renewed passes and then COVID hit. Okay. And so COVID hit around when our passes expired. Disneyland was shut down. And then now that COVID's cleaning up a bit, they still just didn't release annual passes. So we bought like 
you know, a three, a package of three tickets that we had to use by September of last year. So we did Understood. that last year okay. and then they finally released passes. Do they do the SoCal thing? Because I think they all go into our strategy. They do the SoCal thing. What does that mean for everybody listening? So if you live within a range of zip codes, you get a pretty low price on a pass. But unfortunately, it's mostly like weekdays you can go. So it's blacked out. Yeah. So you like can't go on weekends. And for me, I kind of need at least like Sunday open. You if can we... always just take the work days off. I mean, I might. Yeah. <laughs> I'm known for it. So yeah, when you see me out on Thursdays, you know where to find me. I'll be oh, in Anaheim. That was too easy. Um, so they actually had one that was perfect where they had some weekends, mostly Sundays. And we were, it was canceled all December because of Christmas. I'm fine with that, but it was sold out. So we got one, one tier up. Okay, so one tier above the so how do the tiers work? So we understand this too in our pricing strategy. So how does Disney get you? They have like you can pretty much go anytime, and now you have to like reserve, so you can only hold like six reservations at once. Okay, so I'm a, so you can't hey, just show up with your pass and be like, I decided to go today. Whoa, whoa, I'm a big last minute guy. Personal life, I'm very last minute. Professional, I gotta be prepped. Personal. Ah, what do I want to do today? I don't know. Disneyland. So Not going to happen. You could look at the calendar, and if it shows, like, availability, you could go last oh, minute. Oh, my God. I'm going to have the perfect ad to compete with Disneyland. Yeah. I mean, they're getting... I mean, it's probably because of the demand, and they can. Like, imagine the ad right now, okay? You got somebody that show up to an amusement park, and they're like, I got my passes. Can I get in? They're like, no. You're like, what? I, I paid all this money. Look how expensive. I paid over X amount of money for this pass. It says I can go anytime. They're like, you can, but you can't. And I can yeah. show this person getting completely frustrated with not being able to use their annual pass. And it's got to be like, the, it's like, want a better theme park? Yeah. Is that a huge problem for you or not really? You don't mind scheduling and all that? My whole life is like three months in advance these days. Oh, I just died so a little inside. I'm cool with it. Okay. I think I'm going at like 5 p.m. tomorrow. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So you've already literally identified like you have it in your calendar. Yeah. So Disneyland is now a calendar type scheduled event. Yes. It's not like a go into the beach, catch some waves type event. No, but you, yeah, you can only hold like five at once. You still have to pay for like, I think it's called a genie pass. What's that? Which is like their fast pass system. Okay. I think it's expensive. Like each time you use it, it's a lot of money. So in terms of the competition, I think these tier two theme parks has, that's been their biggest play is it's yeah. not as much money. Yeah. But I feel like they make them too cheap. I think it's yeah. kind of ironic, right? Like, well, it's, you asked me why. It's like for me, it might be the brand Disney Channel as a kid, just the Disney brand. The parks of little Mickey, Donald, Goofy. I liked like when I was little, I'd play tag at Tom Sawyer's Island. Yeah, I would run around in um, what's the Lost Ark? What's what's the guy's name? The Lost, the Lost Ark. It's owned by Disney. It's a guy who's gallivanting around, saving the world, and then the aliens come, and Spielberg is the director. Star Wars? No, the other <laughs> one that Spielberg directed. The Lost Ark. Yes, that's the name. The Lost Ark. There's uh, a... Atlanta, like, City of Atlanta. No, there's a guy. He <laughs> goes around. Indiana Jones, dang it. Oh, Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. The Lost Ark. I'm not wrong. It was the Lost... Like, okay. That is not... That's a video game. I know. That... But, I mean, she's been off today. <laughs> <laughs> she just googled the lost art. It's Indiana Jones. Yeah, the temple may have gotten me there. No, there is a temple in the Spielberg G and aliens. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't. 
I, there's aliens in Indiana Jones. I've never yeah, seen the movie. There are aliens in Indiana Jones. Someone got the, mad like, at me this one week of the last about ones. that. Really? I've never seen Indiana Jones. Those are great movies. Never seen Star Wars. Why are you a Disney? What are you from Disney? What are you then within Disney? Because not I mean, kind Star of Star Wars is recent. No, dude, we grew up with Star Wars. What are you talking? No, about? I'm saying like the Disney acquisition of Star Wars isn't that more recent? Like no, Space didn't... Mountain wasn't Star Wars. That's is that true? And Star Tours wasn't oh, Star Wars. Clip maybe. Right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Disney acquired like Lucas Films in the past decade. I always know now when the producers are going to make us look stupid. You know what I mean? Like this is that exact. Yeah, no, moment. I should say Disney did acquire Lucas Films <laughs> in the past decade, and Space Mountain is not based on Star Wars. That is a fact. They're gonna all yeah. This is good. <laughs> good for the brand. I don't know. All I know is I thought that was like two of the main reasons why people go to Disneyland is for like Indiana Jones and Star Wars. I mean, it, Star Wars Land. Even what got not... you the Bugs Life. <sighs> Bugs Life was awesome, except for that stinger. Yeah. Remember the show, the 3D show, and then they actually like stung you in the back with a little thing. I, I what? I've never liked that. Yeah, the chairs had this little thing. So it's they tried like... to create an immersive experience. And they stung you. I mean, it just pokes you. It's not like you're bleeding after, but there was like a little stinger in the what? chair, and I hated that as a kid. And then they had the stink bug. There was smell, a ride that had sure. orange. There's a smell of oranges soaring over California. It's closed right now, but it's opening up soon. I think. I saw it on Instagram. I don't know. See, how do we beat these guys? Right, they have so much emotional connection to like our childhood. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I went to Knotts okay. as a kid, and my did you memories... go to a corporate event? No, I didn't. Why, to... why did you go to the corporate event? I was probably on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably a little last minute. I don't know. Why. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why I missed it. It's probably vacation, but Knott's Berry Farm. I have memories. They had a geode place. So you like a geode is like a round rock where you cut it in half okay, okay. and there's crystals inside. Cool. And so they, you wouldn't know what's inside, but you pick it and you buy it first. And then the guy has like the wet saw, he cuts it in half, okay, that's cool. opens it up. And then he'll tell you like all of the stuff inside, all the different crystals. And now if it's I want to point something out to you though. And this is what I think is the difference between Disneyland and all its competitors. That was only a memory you were able to experience one time. And at the theme park, not preempting it. Yeah. I mean, I got multiple geodes, but I do think you get where I'm going with this, that's though, right? a childhood memory. I don't need to go back and get a geode. Correct. As a 31 year old. But how many times have you been back to Knott's Berry Farm since getting the geode? Uh, I did not scary farm. No, no, not Berry Farm, like amusement park, like went to go to the amusement park. Like you would go to Disneyland. Probably middle school. But so never though, out of your own. Like you haven't since now you haven't thought I want to re-evoke those childhood emotions and memories and I want to go back to Knott's Berry Farm. Nope. It's not there. It's not there. Yeah. But I mean, even Pixar, right? Inside Out is my favorite movie. And I don't even go on the ride at California. It's all like human growth and development. It's it's pretty cool. Good neuroscience in there. Okay. Um, And they have like a ride at California Adventure. I don't go on it. It's like a just little kid spinny well you're 31 year old man yeah no i do toys for mania come on <laughs> but like but you definitely would have gone on that ride as a child yes so the reason i'm bringing this all up is it's not the rides that make you love disneyland is it because i would argue they have the worst rides uh toy story mania is very cool okay i haven't been to this as a video game okay 
person it's like you sit in a cart and it's 3d and you like pull this string and it shoots out projectiles depending on like the theme and okay. you get points so you get like a score on your car and, and pretty, then you get to see if you beat the person yeah okay so that's a cool ride it's a good ride but it's not superman at six flags or the riddler no, i mean we or... used to go after work just for dinner like we do two rides and dinner back when my wife lived right oh, by wow. the theme park and i was in costa mesa People do that? I would, yeah when you have passes you do it okay my wife has had passes like forever and i just refuse i know because i'm like a grumpy old soul i guess but essentially you go for the emotion you go for the experience you go for the feeling the magic right is that what they call it the magic yeah it's a fun like date okay right on steroids i guess and you experience it not as a date though you've experienced it as a family probably traditionally yeah. as a child yeah. right so you have these kind of and then you're in your head right you're trying to take something that's a bit of a fantasy because disney to you before attending a theme park is you're a fan of their movies yep you're a fan of maybe their uh, cartoons their channel right because they had the disney channel growing up yep right so they're kind of in your life already. Mm -hmm. And then going to the theme park is the physical manifestation of your love for Disneyland to a certain extent. Yeah. There's hidden Mickeys everywhere. So you get to know where the hidden Mickeys are. Right. As a consulting firm, we have these clients. We meet with them on Zoom all the time. They know us. We know them. But then there's a special thing that happens and the data backs it when it comes to retention or growing accounts that when you fly out to a client and you share a meal with them, you connect with them physically. Yep. Just shaking their hand, give them a hug, whatever it is it becomes a bond so it seems to me if i was disneyland that the theme park is the physical bond that of the emotion that mm -hmm. the brand evokes see what i'm saying yeah so how the heck do you compete with that because that's what this show is about right now right we spent yeah. 10 minutes talking about disneyland i think that's a good summation of what disneyland mm -hmm. does with their theme parks mm -hmm. is it's a linchpin to the essentially massively scaling the LTV of their customers. Yeah. Right. The lifetime value of a customer at Disneyland gets massively accelerated or amplified through the physical experience you get by visiting one of their amusement parks. Now they also have a global presence, I believe. Correct. So they are in. Yeah. I've been to Tokyo, Tokyo. a couple times. They're in Japan, China, China, and Paris, Perry or France. I don't know if it's not like yeah. in. So we city. have a plate. We have presence in EMEA. APAC and North America. You'll have Orlando, right? Yep. Disney World and Disneyland. East Coast, West Coast. Mm hmm Okay. We're Knott's Berry Farm. Are there multiple Knott's Berry Farms? I do not know. Can you look that up for us, Scarlett? But I do know, like, in terms of, like, the TV shows, isn't it uh, Snoopy? Isn't that, like, their... I mean, let's not bank on that one being great. I think that's it. Like the little kids area is all Snoopy's world. No, it looks like Knott's Berry Farm only has one location. Okay. They are known for the boysenberry. For you wondering why it's Berry Farm. I they don't have know a great boysenberry lemonade. I think. I don't know if uh, they got great funnel cake, but I don't know if any of these things <laughs> are gonna really help us here. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's think through. What do we do? We have now acquired. The Knott's Berry Farm brand. Congratulations, Brady. You and I own 57 acres in Buena Park. Nice. 
right? It's the 12th most visited theme park in North America, averaging approximately 4 million visitors per year. Not bad. And we need to do a lot more than that. Okay? We need to grow. Mm-hmm. I would say focusing on the theme park would probably be a mistake. Okay. What if we were to acquire MTV? Okay. Or something like that. I was thinking like Coco Melon or Bluey. Or Blippy. Who's Blippy? Blippy's the goat, bro. I thought Bluey was a goat. No, no, Blippy's the goat. Bluey the dog? Like, oh, let's do a subscriber off. Let's go YouTube. Let's see who's doing better, Bluey or Blippy. I mean, I don't have kids yet, but I was golfing with these two dads and they just couldn't stop talking about Bluey. Oh, I don't know about Bluey. I know about Blippy. <laughs> let's go see. Which, who's got more subscribers? Blippy? Okay. What do we got here? I mean, he's got his own products and brands. I'm sure the other guy does too. 16.8 million. All right, let's see. Who does Bluey got? Well, Bluey's like a show. So is this? Yeah, but is he on like Netflix or anything? No, bro. Power of the people. What do you say? Blue Blue. What's that? Blue Boy. Let's see what he's got. Oh. Yeah, it's Bluey official channel is the channel. Where is that? Hmm. I don't know how you That's get to a the season. Subs. No, no, we gotta go go to like. Uh... See how it says Bluey official channel under that first video down, right? Just click on that. Yeah. One point six million. Bluey ain't got nothing on my boy. Yeah, Blippy. but Blippy is YouTube. Bluey is all like right, all not right. a YouTube. All right. I don't all think. Right. So Bluey's like some official show who also has a YouTube channel. My boy Blippy's just king of YouTube. <laughs> Okay, but let's say we were to. So you want to start with the kids? Well, because I don't know if we can beat them playing the same game. It's hard to beat. Well, maybe that's not the like just for the kids area. I think like updating from Snoopy, who I don't know how many kids are following Snoopy well, these days. When I want to go after a behemoth, when I want to go after a monster, I don't usually try to take their playbook and try to beat them at it by being better than them. Right? What do I always say? It's better to be different than it is to be better. Yeah, I'm curious to hear, like, the MTV angle because my mind did not go there. Okay, so I would argue that Knott's Berry Farm has a good kind of adult vibe to it. You've got a place where you can buy drinks, and it's not just California Adventure or whatever, and you can kind of walk around the park Mm -hmm. with drinks, and you can kind of do, I would say, this kind of, like, mid-teen, like, you can have more of a teenage to adult vibe at Knott's Berry Farm. There's drinks at Disney now, too. I can't compete with you these can't guys. Do it. I know they're they're dynamic. But to me, I think you could build a counterculture theme park, potentially. And I think MTV could be that. In other words, to me, Disney's a little soft. You know, like yeah. Disney's Disney. It doesn't it feels like you have to when you become an adult, you have to grow up past Disney. Now there's some no, people you who don't. Yeah, there's some people I disagree. who will never shed their Disney skin. And there's yep. other people like me who are like, what's the point of cartoons? Let's watch Sports Center. And I think that there could be a counterculture of people who would pay a lot of money. And I don't think we can make Knott's Berry Farm cheap. I think what everybody's done to compete with Disneyland is be like, here's a cheaper alternative. Is it as good? No. Are we going to be dynamic on our strategy? Nope. Are we going to do anything other than lower our prices to try to compete with Disneyland? No. All right, let's just lower the prices. To me, I think we have to get plugged back into culture, back into society, and be a byproduct of the day-to-day life 
mm-hmm. the people who we want to attend our amusement park. So to me, buying an asset that is no longer valuable but has strong historical resonance mm-hmm. like MTV for counterculture that you could, I think, get for a cheaper price could start to position us in a way to essentially launch new shows on the network, build rides, update our current. In other words, I don't want to redesign the amusement park without a psychological anchor for each ride that's being redesigned. Mm -hmm. So like when Disneyland redoes a ride and when they update their park, it's in reflection of their content calendar. In other words, when you think about our content calendar, it's like writing a blog post. Disneyland's content calendar is a new series, a new movie, a new show. And then they create essentially a physical manifestation of the digital world. I mean, they're the metaverse and they've been it forever and no one really realizes it, right? You're all in this digital fake world, this Mm make-believe magical land that they've created. And then for you to finally become a Disneyite or whatever the hell they call you. I don't know. You have to go to the park and it almost like cements that connection of your childhood and those memories and those emotions i think if not sperry farm and we acquired mtv we could start to do live shows at the park yeah we could start to have concerts at the park we could start to create a manifestation of your digital life into the real life and be an entertainment hub for counterculture Mm -hmm. and charge a premium it'll still be cheaper than disneyland yeah but it shouldn't be cheap we should only exist to the point that you thought the value you got from attending our amusement park was more so than the price of the ticket. Yeah, people want to go, not just like, well, it's what we can afford. Correct. So let's do knots, even though I feel like we all want to do Disney. Correct. People right now get a group of eight together that's broke, and you're all like 23, 24, whatever you are, 22, 18, 19, middle school, high school. Parents drop you off. You go to Knott's Berry Farm because yeah. you can afford it. Yeah. Disneyland you can't afford. There's long lines. You're like, oh, let's just go to Knott's. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to go to Knott's because they couldn't afford Disneyland. I want them to go to Knott's because they feel an like an affinity towards it. Yeah. I think you know how, like, I'm sure Knott's has this to some extent. But, you know, Disneyland has, like, Tomorrowland and Adventureland, Toontown, things like that. I feel like eras of music, like, on going on the MTV theme. And then you can have music on the roller coasters and all the rides there we go that was a cool thing about california screaming the roller coaster at california adventure is they put in these really nice speakers and they redid space mountain they did the same to where like music is playing during the roller coaster but if you have like certain areas of the park like 80s 90s 2000s 60s 70s rock yeah you could then have that music playing on the rides and i feel like you could theme the rides Based on a song or something like you could. I think we do partnerships. That's why I'll one up you. We call it the Rolling Stones ride. Yeah, that's what we bring Rolling Stones you in. You have to get the rights and stuff. And, but they partner with us as the artist and they're involved in the design of the music, the mm-hmm. theatrics, and we turn it more into a show, which is what Disneyland is. It's not about the ride, it's about the experience of each ride. Yeah. And what if we created an experience, but it was more of a counterculture experience? I think you could actually compete with them. You could create something like I don't know who travels to go to Knott's Berry Farm, but imagine the yeah. advertising we could do. We could launch a new ride with Rolling Stones, target everyone who follows Rolling Stones on Meta, yep, and then advertise all those people. And I think if we did a big launch event and Rolling Stones was there, and we turned all that into content, people would fly from all around the world 
to go to this new and improved Knott's Berry Farm because they're huge fans of Rolling Stones or ACDC yeah. or Guns N' Roses or whoever that is. And then eventually we get a modern artist like Drake. Like Drake has never designed a roller coaster ride before in his life. No. But imagine the OVO brand doing a whole roller coaster with all of his top songs, performances integrated on the inside of the like ride, and it became a theatrical experience. Plus, it was a dope roller coaster. I actually think we could have something there. Oh yeah, I'm already Supreme. Now you see you know you Supreme Scream, this. you know that ride. Yep. So it's like you go up super slow and then it drops. Yeah. So that could be like electronic oh. music, the drop. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, song builds up as yeah, you're yeah, going yeah. up, and then the song drops while the ride yes. drops. Yes, like in Diplo's in charge of that, and then yeah. Diplo's in residency at Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah, performances Correct. would be awesome. And then Diplo does a performance once a month because mm-hmm. he still can be in Vegas, but once a month he flies out private. And he does a performance at Knott's Berry Farm. I'm telling you, you start doing that, we could actually compete with these people. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just stewing on this right now. Yeah, I like the. I like this the music. is how I would go after Disneyland. Yeah, because you can even targeting wise, like people who grew up with '80s music, you can advertise that section of the theme park Multiple and personas, demographics. Yeah, the parents from the '80s and the '90s would be like, "I want to go to this for myself," but it's also a theme park, so I know my kids are going to be excited too, and just have that blend. We could do something crazy too at first. FP. You know what FP stands for? Um, I watch Bob does sports and fat Perez is one of the members. So FP stands for fat Perez in this case, it's in says... my mind. Okay. Just wanted to be, yeah, no, I like that. In this case, free parking. Oh, Ooh, Disney now would we're talking. never. Our I'm passes, just... we get half off. So we're only paying $15 and not 30 each time, each time. I would argue parking is and then I heard you have to take a trolley to get into the park at Disneyland. I'm not talking. I hope that trolley's back up and running because we had a walk last time. And I heard it's not a quick, COVID. easy rock. No, it was like a mile long walk because the trams, because of COVID, they didn't want people on them. I'm telling you, bro, we could crush. We could crush the ad. It would just be like someone like who just walked through the end of the desert who finally gets to the park, but then their pass doesn't work because they haven't reserved that day or they're blacked out. And yeah. we could just crush because to me, Disneyland is not very customer centric anymore when it comes to actually like using Disneyland. Once you get in the theme park, I heard they're great. But the blackouts, the parking, the trolley, the scheduling, it's a thing to go to Disneyland. Yeah, that's where like influencer marketing would come in, right? Is you sponsor a family, you know, a really popular blogger instagrammer to go to both theme parks and have them break down all these categories on cost differences between knots and disneyland parking hotel and then really conclude it and like maybe disneyland wins on well it's so different a few things What's so different let's take influencers who have built brands around specific parts that we want to evaluate each influencer goes deep on one. yeah like a foodie uh, yeah, yeah a foodie yeah. does the food um a financial advisor how to save money person does the cost someone who's totally into cars or parking mm-hmm. does the parking someone who's like a marathon runner we could do it funny too of like hey you know it wasn't too bad for me but i run marathons right and like yeah i think there's so many different ways you could tell the story of why you should go to knots and I think we could actually double that number from like four million to eight million with the yeah. right 
positioning, pricing. Yeah. And I mean, market. the food's a big one. Food's right? huge. You can take the top food trucks in the U.S. and just have them permanent there and have like a cool theme section where it's Ooh. permanent food trucks. like Food truck land. Yeah, like Brewery X has that. I don't know yeah, if you've been there. I love that one. I was there this weekend. Yeah, so their food is just food trucks that are permanent. Yeah. They don't drive around other locations. So if you take like the... I'm blanking on any... Did we do this idea for our last one? I feel like we food, food was trucks. A, it wasn't food uh, trucks. But well, was, no, we talked about food within the cruise ship. Yeah, but same idea. I think food's huge in any type of entertainment. Yeah. I didn't realize we did cruise ships and now a theme park. Whatever, we're on like an entertainment kick right now. I mean, we do airplanes, <laughs> we do hotels. Yeah. We we do a lot of this travel entertainment. It's just our crazy minds yeah. trying to innovate something. But it's relevant. Like like yeah. I just bought Disneyland passes, so for yeah. me this is no, I love top it. of mind. But you, you, it was funny because, I mean, everything you talked about with buying a Disneyland Plus sounds like hell to me. Like, <laughs> just horrible. Like, I got to be like, ooh, am I blacked out this day? And now I got to, like, yeah. walk to the park. And then I got to pay extra if I want to cut the lines. I yeah. thought it used to be like you just, like, two, three, four bucks for a Fast Pass. No. They don't call them Fast Pass anymore. Either. No, it's like the Genie Pass. And it's all done through an app. And you pay maybe, like, 100 bucks for the day just for that. Wait, really? I don't know. It's expensive. I, I saw people like complain about like how the passes didn't come with that because they're already like an annual pass isn't cheap. And if business was good for knots, I think the hotel part helps. I think a lot of people like the Disney, the entire Disney experience. You can go on a Disney cruise. You can stay at the Disney hotel. Yeah. Uh, one in Hawaii is crazy on Oahu. I forget what it's called. You got downtown Disney for all the restaurants. I like yeah. the, I like the, the, the jazz little spot they have there. Yeah, I think they're opening because Knott's right now has Porto's. Has what? Porto's Bakery. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a hot bakery, too. I, I want to say Downtown Disney is going to get it soon. They're going to take it from them? No, they're just opening one there. See, and that's what I'm talking about. We got to be more. We got to be on it. We got to get our food right. We got to get our drinks yeah. right. I think the food's a big opportunity because Disney, like a lot of people post on Instagram, like the new churro flavor came out. And so Disney like almost has its own brand with food and all the food hacks is you can go here and order a lobster mac and cheese, even though it's not on the menu. I saw that video too. The influencers are crazy. Yeah. So it's all the Disney secrets, but I think not, we can be aware of that and we can just take the most well-known food trucks in the U S and have them have permanent spots there and not try to come up with like the knots branded food. And we have a speakeasy bar. I think if we do a speakeasy Ooh, I like bar, the speakeasy. you know what I'm saying? That's like underneath one of the roller coasters in a spot yeah. you'd never guess. Yeah, there's a lot of like mining yeah. vibes yeah. in Knott's Berry Farms, right. like a mine shaft door or something like that. I like that. You take a cart in. Ooh. We just need some stuff that can go viral, some social kind of parts to our theme park. And I think we have something genuinely special here. So Knott's, if you're interested, nominal fee, $10 million, and we can give you anything you want, any advice, any insights, any tactics, and we could go take down those uh, evil Disney people. Yeah. Don't take them down, though. I own a lot of their stock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, let's market this, and uh, thanks so much for being with us today on the show. Um, as always, like, subscribe, leave a comment, and uh, we'll see you next week. Check out the TikToks and go argue with what we say. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. <laughs>